Hello, and thank you for joining the New Life Baptist Church podcast. It is such a privilege to be able to share God's Word with you through this platform, and it's our desire that you would have an open heart to receive what the Lord has for you through this message. If you'd like to contact us, please visit our website at newlifecasagrande.com. There you'll find contact information to reach us directly, or if you're local to the Casa Grande area, you'll find information to plan your first visit. If you benefit from this sermon, please share it with a friend or feel free to leave a review. Now, let's get ready to hear what God has for us today. Uh, Let's open our Bibles, if you would, to two passages. Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15, put your finger there, and then go to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. If you do not have a Bible in the pew or the seat in front of you, uh, under the seat, there are black Bibles. You can have it. It's yours. Take it. Use it today. Uh, If you've got a digital copy, I'll try to be ready to move along uh, in the passages with us. But 1 Thessalonians 4 and 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, if you've heard this story before, um, just put up with it. If you haven't, it'll kind of get us going today. Um, me and my wife hadn't been married long, probably about two to three years, somewhere in that time span. I was working for Coca-Cola Bottling Company. I'd have to get up in the mornings at about 4, 35 o'clock, drive into the plant, get my truck all loaded, and uh, head out to fill vending machines across Greenville County in Greenville, South Carolina. And, uh, and that was my life. And some days I'd get done quick. I'd get home, maybe lunch, 1, 2 o'clock. And some days it was long, 5, 6, 7 o'clock getting home. And you know how that is. And so this particular evening I was exhausted. I was tired. It was hot. It had been a long day. I came home late. And uh, we had dinner and then probably watched something on TV, and then we, we closed up for the night. Um, I'm lying in my bedroom. We live out in the middle of the country. We live 30 minutes from the town and out in the middle of the woods and had about five acres of land, and, and I'm, I'm lying in bed. My back is facing the door. We had one of those French doors, that uh, two doors that opened up into our bedroom, and I'm lying on my side. She crawls in the bed. She's on her side facing me. She says, honey, before we go to sleep, I got some things I need to talk about. I need to take care of some things. I'm like, all right, go ahead, shoot. And so by the time she gets into the second sentence, I'm falling asleep. Ever been there? I'm the guy that when I stop, I literally, even now, uh, have a hard time. I got to keep going. Matter of fact, I'm glad I'm the one preaching and you're the one listening. So if you ever nod on me in church, I'm not offended because I am you, right? And I know that. Uh, and so she is talking and I'm starting to nod and I'm starting to fall asleep. And she's like, honey, seriously, wake up. And she shakes me, wake up. Okay, I'm awake. I'm awake. Go ahead, go ahead. And she tries again. And then I start to nod, and my, I'm bobbing, and you, you know how it is when she's trying to talk to you. And so she shakes me, honey, serious, this is important. I got to get this taken care of before tomorrow. Sure, sure, go ahead, talk. We had come to an agreement that if anybody ever broke into our house, um, this is before I had trained her to shoot a weapon. Now, and if you if you break in, you're going to get shot twice. Okay, and uh, but uh, but before I had taught her, said, "Honey, look, if somebody ever breaks in, I want you to roll off the side of the bed, get underneath the bed, and I'll take care of business. I'll do what uh, I've been um, uh, given the gift to do. I'm going to protect the home. I'm going to do that." And so I'm lying in bed beside her, my back's facing the door. 
She's on her side beside me, and she's looking toward me, and the door is right behind me. All of a sudden, she sits up a little bit and looks at the door, and she gets this terrified look, and she screams. She rolls off the bed. Without hesitation, I know what's happening. Somebody is standing in the doorway uh, or in the living room, and she can see out there somebody is in my house. I spin around, jerk off the covers. I jump up, and I, I mean, I am ready. I'm serious. I'm tense. My whole body is strapped, ready to go, and I, it, we're going to drop and fight this out right here in the house, and then I'm thinking, you know how your brain's going? Where's the gun? I got to get to that. Everything's happening. This is all spinning in my head, and I'm looking, and there's nobody in the doorway and I'm looking and I walk to the living room and nobody's in the living room and I turn back around and she is now kind of peeked up over the side of the bed and she asks the question, are you awake now? I'm like, what? Are you awake? And then it dawned on me that there's nobody that I need to fight in the living room. There's somebody on the other side of that bed that I'm ready to fight right? And uh, I'm like, oh no, tell me you just did not do that, right? And uh, so obviously I am awake. I don't know if I'm in the right mindset currently to carry on the conversation that she wanted to carry on, but I am awake. Now, with that being said, I believe that our study, our nine weeks that we have now spent in the book of Revelation looking for that blessed hope has awakened me personally. As a pastor, I have found myself now coming out of the slump. As a Christian, I've now found myself a little more um, in tune and alert to the fact that our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, could come back at any moment. I'm a little more edgy, which is good, I believe the church, if we're honest with ourselves, we live right now as if Jesus is not coming back. Because if we lived as if this was true, we, we, and I'm guilty, so don't, don't feel like that Pastor McCormick is pointing his finger at you. I'm pointing our, my finger at us, and I'm saying, honestly, if we're really honest with ourselves, we really don't live right now as if Jesus were coming back. If we did, the teens in the youth group this morning would not have been as interested in getting their coffee as they were looking to see if a guest had walked through the door. If we were, we'd be not as interested if somebody was in our seat today as we're interested if there were anybody in the room lost without Jesus actually present. We would be more interested in the fact that our neighbor across the street could spend an eternity away from God than we were bickering about where they parked their car. Fair enough. And, and again, I'm not trying to be rude. This is what's happened to me. It's, it's as if Robin has rolled off the bed and I've jumped up and I'm now ready when I wasn't nine weeks ago. And that's what's happening in my spirit. I hope that is what's happening in your spirit. That is the point in all of this. 
If we truly know that Jesus is coming back and we believe that, then certainly it impacts right now how we live. So you ask the question, hey, Pastor Ray, then if that's the case, what's next on the prophetic calendar. We, we just finished Revelation chapter one through three. Remember that the word revelation is our word for apocalypse. The word apocalypse simply means revealing or uncovering. So God in the apocalypse is uncovering. He's revealing what he is going to do and what is happening. For the last eight weeks, he's revealed what is going on within the church currently. And now from chapters four and on, he's going to reveal what is going to happen when the tribulation begins. Now, it's really important that we understand that. Seven years of tribulation, seven seals seven judgments that God is going to bring upon mankind before he actually returns again and puts his feet, the Bible says, on the Mount of Olives to rule and to reign here for a thousand years. Now, you say, um, that sounds kind of fictional. And, and I would understand that you would say that because it does have a fictional feel. Uh, we've watched a lot of Avenger movies, and we've seen a lot of the Lord of the Rings, and we've watched all these big um, uh, the- theatrical events and elements to, to life. And, and therefore, when we read the Bible, honestly, if we're honest with ourselves, it's hard to separate fiction from prophetical Bible truth. And, and, and although there might be some debate about how it's going to happen, if, if we're honest with ourselves, there is no debate that it is going to happen. Christ is coming back. And no man knows the day nor the hour when he is going to come and this seven-year tribulation period is going to come where the wrath of God is going to be unleashed upon the world. Now, what happens prior to that is what we're going to discuss today. We're going to uh, uncover the rapture. Now, I know it's a debated topic, and I want us to jump in, and I want us to recognize a couple of truths before I jump in. Many people have different opinions about when and why and what, okay? A matter of fact, there are three basic, basic conclusions about the rapture. I was informed today that there's not three, there's four, all right, after the service this morning. All right, so, so, so opinion number one is called pre-trib. That means that we believe that the rapture is going to happen before the tribulation. Mid-trib, that believes that halfway through the seven years, Christ is going to come and take the church home. Some believe in post-trib. That means that uh, Christ is coming at the end of the tribulation, the seven years. And then I heard this morning that some believe in pan-trib. It doesn't mean, it's no telling when he's going to come. He's just coming, and we know he's coming, and, and, and I'm just satisfied with that. All right, so um, really three schools of thought. I want us to dive into this, and we're going to do it from the Word of God. You know that's how things work here. We, we, we go to the Bible, and we find the answers, right? So here we go. First Thessalonians chapter number four is where we're going to begin today. 
today, and then we're going to hop over to 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. I hope you're there with me. Let's start with 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. Here we go. But I would not have you to be ignorant brethren. Okay, so the reason Paul is saying this to the church at Thessalonica, here's why. This was a young church. Christ has just ascended. He's gone to heaven. There's only been about 40 to 60 years now, and the church has started. And this particular church at Thessalonica had already had Paul come into town for about three weeks and teach them the Bible, and then he was, he was pushed out of town. They were threatening to take his life. And now there's this little church there that's existing, and they're thriving. But in their thriving, they're a little confused about some people teaching some false doctrine. So Paul writes this letter back to clear up some things. And one of the things he's going to clear up is this idea of death and life and resurrection and all this craziness. All right. So, so, so watch what happens. The church, um, they're wondering what's going to happen at the resurrection for those who have already died. And rightly so, because currently Family members are literally dying for their faith. And so they're wondering, is it worth, watch, watch, is it worth living for Jesus? Is it worth dying for Jesus if the resurrection is different for those that are dead than those that are alive? Are you tracking? You got it? They're a little concerned. And Paul says, I don't want you ignorant concerning this. I want you to know. He wants us to know. Know what? Notice this. But I would not have you ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. The, the word asleep is our word for death, but it was normally tagged to those who were believers in Christ. Why? Because death for us is different than death for the lost person. Okay? So, so this is a word that just simply means dead. I would not have you ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Uh, by the way, he's not saying that we can't sorrow when people die. We just don't sorrow like people with no hope sorrow. We have hope in what? The resurrection. We're going to see that. Notice next. For if we believe Jesus died and rose again. This is, the, this is the turning point to the text. All right, I don't want you ignorant, brethren, concerning those which are dead, which are asleep. Why? For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, would you take your finger and flip over to 1 Corinthians 15? All right, so open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. Now, this is important as Paul is laying this foundation with this church. Look at verse number one. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which the gospel ye also are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which also I received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Okay, so basically what Paul is doing at this church is he's explaining 
the gospel. And church, what is the gospel? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel complete. Death, burial, and resurrection. So here's what he's saying. If you believe what I've taught you concerning the gospel, that Jesus died. So let me ask a question this morning. Do you believe that you are a sinner and that your sin deserves the wrath and punishment of God? But Jesus Christ took your place and he hung upon a cross and God unleashed his wrath upon Jesus. Do you believe that Jesus died, yes or no? Secondly, notice what he says here. That you believe that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried. Do you believe that they took Jesus' body that same evening off the cross? After he said, it is finished, he gave up the ghost, he quit breathing, they took his body off the cross, they placed it into the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. Do you believe that they put his body in the ground? Yes or no? Yes. Thirdly, watch here. And the Bible says in verse number four, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Do you believe that on the third day, Jesus Christ rose up from the grave as the apostle Paul taught us in the scriptures that are given to us, yes or no? So, so what you're saying is you believe the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Notice as we continue reading in verse number five, and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the 12. After that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once. A greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep, meaning that they've died as well. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. At last, of all, he was seen of me also as one born out of due time. I, I even saw him and heard him speak on the road. For I am the least of the apostles that am not meet to be called an apostle. Now, what has happened is Apostle Paul, for this church in Corinth, has just laid out the fact. Stay with me. This is important. You say, what does this have to do with the rapture? Don't miss this. Do you believe that Jesus died and was buried and rose again as the apostle Paul saw, as 500 others saw, as Cephas saw, as James saw, you weren't there, but do you believe it according to the scriptures? Yes or no? Hopefully your answer is yes, because, and you'll see why now. Go with me to verse number 12. Go with me to verse number 12. The Bible says in verse number 12, now if Christ be preached, that's what Paul just did, right? I'm not trying to overly explain the text, but I just don't want you to miss this. Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? I've told you this. I've preached this to you. We we know of people who visually saw his resurrection, and how is it that some of you believe that he didn't rise from the grave? Watch what he says next. But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain or empty, and your faith is also vain and empty. Here's what he's saying. Watch with me. 
if the only thing Christ did was die for your sins and was buried and he stayed in the grave, there is no hope for us because there's no difference from him and anyone else who has died. If there is not a resurrection, then you and I are believing in vain. Our faith is empty. There's no value to it. The value of our salvation is not just in his death. The value of our salvation is in his resurrection. That's why the symbol of the Christian faith is not a Jesus still hanging on the cross. The symbol of Christian faith is an empty cross and an empty tomb because that's where our faith lies. If you don't believe in the resurrection, your faith is vain, it is empty. But why? Okay, he's still going. This is so cool. Look at the text. The Bible goes on to say here as we continue to read, verse number 16, for if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep, remember what does that mean? Those that are dead in Christ are what? Perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we of are all men most what? Miserable. Are you catching what Paul is saying to the church? Jesus had to rise from the grave because if he didn't rise, you won't rise. And if you don't rise, you are perishing. Are you tracking what he's saying? And if we don't have a resurrection, we are of all people most miserable. Why? Because there's no hope. My salvation, Ray McCormick's salvation, is not just depending upon the fact that Jesus died for my sins and took the wrath of God. My hope is in the fact that he died and he was buried and he rose again. And today he is seated on the right hand of the Father, alive, ever interceding for you and for me. And because I believe in that hope of a resurrection, I'm not miserable today. Death does not scare me. This is just the beginning. I shall ever be with him because he died and rose again. I also, when I fall asleep, will rise again. And so we know from Scripture that there is a resurrection because he rose again. We will also rise again. Look at this with me. The Bible says, and I don't want you to miss this, verse number 20, but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of him that what? Slept. Christ simply was this. He was the first one to ever die and go and suffer and then rise again, conquering death, hell, and the grave. He's the first fruits. Me and you will be the second fruits. Notice what the text says. He's the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be what? Made alive. I love that phrase. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ at his what? At his what? Death. 
at his coming, then cometh the end. When, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and all power, for he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. Now, now watch what the text is saying, and we're going to go back to 1 Thessalonians 4. If I believe that Jesus died and was buried and rose again, then I have hope that through Christ, him the first fruit, me the one the text says that comes next, will also die and rise again with him. Resurrection is vitally important. When? At his coming. And then after I meet him at his coming, he will conquer can I say it this way? What's been left? Go back to 1 Thessalonians 4 now. Go back to 1 Thessalonians 4. Verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, if we believe that, even so them also which sleep in who? In Jesus will God what? Bring with him for this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air, so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort yourself one another with these words. Listen, church, there is coming a day when the clouds are going to break open and through the clouds, our Lord and Savior with the archangel is going to come and he is going to shout. And that shout is going to be thunderous like trumpets. And all of those who are dead, what's the Bible word again? asleep are going to awaken in resurrection and they're going to rise up to meet him in the air. Then all of us which are on this earth, which have what? Put our belief, our faith in what? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ shall be taken away to meet him in the air. That is the rapture. That is the calling away of the saints. And so let's take the time to answer two questions. Ready? Number one, what is the rapture? And number two, when is the rapture? Here we go. Number one. And by the way, don't get nervous. I'm not going to have you open your calendars and mark an actual date. All right? But we are going to explain some when in just a minute. What is the rapture? Look at 1 Thessalonians again. What is the rapture? Some say, and they've asked this question, hey, I don't understand why you people believe in a word that's not even in the Bible. Did you know the word rapture? It's never mentioned in Scripture. It's, never, it's, not, it's, it's nowhere in the English Bible, right? But did you know the word Bible is nowhere in the English Bible? Do we still believe the Bible? Did you know the word Trinity is never listed in the English Bible? Do we still believe in the Trinity? Absolutely. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three in one. 
Okay, so just because the word rapture is not there doesn't mean that the uh, concept or the idea or the truth of rapture, it's not in Scripture. The word rapture defined simply means this. It simply means uh, to be um, seized, to be caught up, to catch up, or to be called away. That is just simply what the word rapture means. Matter of fact, the Bible says this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. The rapturing, the calling up, the seizing away, the snatching, okay, if, uh, if, if we could say it that way. Back to our original text in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Then those that are alive and remain shall be, what's the word? Caught up. It just means to be called away. That is the idea of the word rapture. And why is it so surprising to us that God can call away or rapture someone? It's happened all throughout Scripture. All throughout Scripture. In the book of Genesis and Hebrews chapter number 11, there was a man by the name of Enoch. Enoch, the Bible says, was translated. The word translated means called away. The word translated, notice this, uh, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God translated him for before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. There was literally a man in the Bible that walked so closely with God that all of a sudden God just decided to rapture him out and translate him to call him up, to call him away. There's another man named Elijah. Elijah was a prophet of God. He walked with God. He fellowshiped with God. He served God. And him and Elisha were walking together one day. And the Bible says in the book of 2 Kings 2, verse 11, and it came to pass as they still went on and talked that, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and parted them both asunder. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. God called Elijah up. He raptured him up. There was a man in the New Testament by the name of Philip, okay? Uh, Philip was an evangelist. He shared the gospel. One day, there was an Ethiopian eunuch in his chariot heading home. He was reading the book of Isaiah, and he didn't understand it. God knocked on Philip's heart and says, hey, go over there and tell him, explain to him what he's reading. So Philip goes over, and he says, hey, do you understand what you read? And the guy's like, how can I unless somebody show me? And so Philip climbs up in his chariot. They ride a little while. He explains Isaiah the prophet. He lets him know that it is Jesus, the one who will die and take the sacrifices of man upon himself. And finally, the unit goes, what doth hinder me to get in that water over there and be baptized? And, and Philip says, if you believe you can be baptized. And the eunuch said, I believe. And so they stopped the chariot and they walked down to the water. He baptized him. And notice what the Bible says. As soon as he baptized him in Acts chapter eight. And when they were come up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught away. The word is raptured, Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more. And he didn't freak out. I mean, I think I would have, Ed. I just gotta be honest. If I just baptize somebody, you know, and all of a sudden, zoop, they're gone. Yeah, I'm going to be a little like, mm, what just happened here? But not in this story. The Bible says he was caught away. He was, he was immediately gone, and the eunuch went on rejoicing, okay? Notice what Jesus Christ actually did as well. 
The Bible says in Acts 1, 9, and when he had spoken, Jesus talking to his disciples, giving them his last will and testament, while they beheld him, he was taken up and caught up into a cloud and received out of their sight. Boom, gone, ascended, disappeared, raptured. Open your Bibles to John chapter 14. Open your Bibles to John 14. Jesus is standing there talking with his disciples, and he's trying to help them. They're struggling with the idea of him being gone. They can't wrap their mind around the fact that their Messiah, the one that was going to come and set them free from the oppression of the, of the Romans, is now talking about leaving. In John 14, 3, very famous passage of Scripture for us. Jesus says this, let not your heart be troubled. John 14, verse 1, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Now watch the, the, the wording. I what? Go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to another place to prepare a place for you, I will what? Come again, and what's next? Receive you unto myself. You, you see the wording? If you understand the Hebrew vernacular or the Greek vernacular, you'd understand that this is not an idea of him coming to where they were. He would have said that. I will come to you, and I will rule you here. He is going to do that later, and the book of Revelation actually has that wording. I will come, I will conquer, I will rule and reign here. But that's not what he says there. He says, I will come again, and I will receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Jesus Christ himself explaining the coming of the Lord, the idea of rapture. Secondly, the purpose of rapture is separation. I'm going to take you from where you are unto myself, and there's a reason I'm going to do that, and we'll discuss that in just a moment. The purpose is separation. Uh, by the way, God's been separating his people since the beginning of time. In Genesis 1 through 3, God puts man in the garden and separates sin from it. And from chapters 4 and on, God is trying to, uh, now man is living in sin and he's trying to remove man from it. We see God separating Noah into an ark. We see God uh, separating Lot out of a sinful city before destruction falls on it. We see God continuing throughout Scripture by creating a holy people and separating the Jewish people from everybody else so that he could show his glory through those people physically. And not only that, um, in, in, in a way that would uh, define who he is ceremonially. And then now for the church today, what is God continuing to do? He's calling his church out to be what? Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Spiritually. We as God's people are different spiritually. Okay, so you understand this idea of calling out is not something new. So the rapture is a snatching, a calling, a seizing away for separation when, when. And so today I will not stand up here and give you a date. 
I, I can't. The Bible says, no man knows the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man comes. There's no way we can know that. So how can we get an idea of when? Well, there, 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 there are no specific signs given to us for the rapture itself, but there are specific signs given to us for um, the time of tribulation. Some things are going to have to be in place for the tribulation to happen. So we can only assume that those signs okay, that we see for the tribulation will, would also um, give us an idea of, this, uh, of when the rapture is going to come. Why? And, and, and here's, here's two things I'm going to say. Uh, the reason that the timing is so important is really based on two words. Number one, the word wrath, and two, therefore, the word tribulation. Here's what we know about the timing of the rapture. I personally believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, and I'm going to explain from Scripture why I believe that. I would say in this room there's potential that somebody believes in a mid-trib rapture, and there's even potential in this room that somebody would believe in a post-trib rapture. I personally believe in a mid-trib. Now, if you believe in a post-trib rapture, all right, then me and you don't have to separate from being friends. You understand that, right? Jesus is coming back regardless. We can agree to disagree on this interpretation of Scripture, um, but this is where I believe, uh, and, as a, and as a church as a whole, this is where we stand. But we know that, um, that there are individuals that may not come to that same conclusion. With that being said, let's go to the Scriptures, and, and let's understand why the timing says that it has to be pre-wrath. All right, so, so notice with me, if you would, um, when the rapture is. Revelation chapter 3, verse 10. Revelation 3.10 says this, Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I will also keep thee, I love this word, from. By the way, it's not through, it's from the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world to them that dwell on the earth. So let's talk about this pre-wrath timing of the rapture. Let's understand the word wrath. The word wrath is the word rage. Uh, it's the Old Testament word indignation. So I want you to see this, and I don't want to bore you, but let's do this quickly. Open your Bibles to Daniel chapter number 8. Daniel chapter number 8, and then we're going to look at Daniel chapter number 11. Open your Bibles to Daniel chapter number 8, and then we'll look at Daniel chapter number 11. In Daniel, in Daniel 8, we see in verse number 18, notice what he says here. This is Daniel's prophecy of, um, of the tribulation that is to come, the end of the world, the apocalypse as we know it. We're going to spend more time in Daniel a little bit later, but notice verse 18. Now as he was speaking with me, I was in a deep sleep on my face toward the ground. But he touched me and set me upright. And he said, Behold, I will make thee know what shall be in the last end of the indignation. For at the time appointed, the end shall be. So here's a statement, and this is God speaking to Daniel. And he's simply saying this. Daniel, wake up, man. Sit up. 
there's going to come a time in the end well, where I am going to unleash my, here's the word in the, in the Hebrew, indignation. The word indignation just means wrath. It means my displeasure, my vengeance. I'm going to unleash my indignation in the end. Uh, let's see a little bit toward the end. Go with me, if you would, to chapter number 11 of Daniel and look at verse number 36. Jesus being the king, and the king shall do, verse, chapter 11, verse number 36, and the king shall do according to his will, and he shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god. He's going to rule and reign, and he shall speak marvelous things against the God of gods and shall prosper until... Okay, this is, this is the one that's defying Christ. He's going to prosper. He's going to be a big shot. He's going to, act, he's going to think he's in charge. He's going to think he's ruling until when? The indignation be accomplished. For that that is determined shall be done. Neither shall he regard the God of his fathers, nor the desire of women, nor regard any God, for he shall magnify himself above all until what? the wrath of God, the indignation is poured out. So if you would, let's look at Paul's word for this found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. I know it's a lot of scripture, but again, I want you to see the wording. It is the same exact word. The word the Hebrews use for wrath is the same word the Greeks use for wrath. Notice what it said here. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had. 1 Thessalonians 1, 9. For they themselves show unto us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, notice this, which delivered who? Us from what? The wrath to come. God promised that those who put their faith in Jesus would not uh, see wrath, but rather would be delivered from the wrath that is certainly to come. Isaiah prophesied of it. Ezekiel prophesies of it. Jesus in the uh, New Testament over and over again, teaches of the wrath that is to come in the day of the Lord. The book of Revelation teaches of the wrath that is to come in the day of the Lord. First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse number 9, For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. So let's tie it together really fast from the beginning of what is the rapture to when is the rapture. Ready? For the child of God who believes in the gospel, what is the gospel, church? The death, burial, and what? Resurrection of Jesus Christ, who puts their confidence in Jesus. Here we go. Why? When Jesus went to the cross, what did he do for us? Why did Jesus have to go to the cross? Can somebody say really loud? To pay for our sins. Ready? The wrath of God 
was unleashed upon his own darling son for the sins of the whole world. And it was so real that God himself turns his back on his own son. Jesus Christ died. He's placed within the earth. He suffers the wrath of all mankind, separation from God. And then he beats it and rises again from the grave. Watch this. Why do I know that we are going out prior to wrath? Because Jesus has already paid my wrath, therefore I get to be absent from the wrath that is to come upon those who did not accept the fact that he paid their wrath. Wrath is coming. Wrath upon those who do not believe in Jesus Christ, who do not accept his son as their savior, who continue to go their own way and believe in false thinking, wrath would be unleashed upon them, but not for the child of God. By the way, it's not because I'm special. Nah, 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 boo, boo, I don't get the wrath. <laughs> okay, it's not that. I deserve wrath. My sin deserves punishment. My lying, my thoughts, my actions, my deeds, they deserve for God to unleash his wrath upon me. But I believed that Jesus took my place upon the cross. He took Ray's wrath upon the cross. Therefore, I won't receive any wrath. And so if wrath is coming upon all earth dwellers, as the Bible says, then I would have to be what? Absent separate it, or God's punishing me after all, twice, or punishment's being given twice. He says over and over again, you will be saved from, not through, from, from the wrath that is to come. The rapture, the when of the rapture for us, it is pre Wrath, which means, therefore, it has to be pre-tribulation. Are you tracking? Are you walking in the steps? I'm trying to create, if I can, through Scripture, a very clear path to understand why we believe that when Jesus says, someday I'm going to come in the clouds with the voice of the archangel, with the, with the trump of God, and all those that are dead in Christ are going to rise to meet me in the air. And those that are alive and remain shall be called up together, raptured, seized, to be with the Lord ever in the air, to rule and reign with him. And that has to become before wrath. And if wrath comes during the tribulation, it has to be pre-tribulation. That's according to the scriptures. Notice the timing here. Scripture shows that it is the Lamb, Jesus Christ. So watch this. We're almost done. Open your Bibles quickly to, first, uh, to, to Revelation chapter number 5. Really quick, chapter number 5. When does wrath begin then? When does the tribulation begin? Revelation chapter number 5. Uh, look quickly. I want you to see this. Revelation 5. If we can, let's jump to 4 1 and then we're going to go to 5. Uh, this is after the churches have been discussed. After this, I looked and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a what? Amen. A what? A trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither. That is also the same word, a calling away, a rapturing, and I will show you the things which must be from this point on. 
Okay, so the end of the church age and from this point on. Okay, now from this point on, we're going to discuss the Lamb of God, who is the only one worthy to open the book, and inside the book are the seven seals of the tribulation. Seven weeks, Daniel calls it. It's not weeks, but uh, that's the, the prophecy, the tribulation period, seven years. Okay, notice chapter five and verse number five for the sake of time. And one of the elders saith unto me, weep not, behold. Basically what is happening, there's weeping because there's no one worthy to open the book until Jesus steps forward. Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. By the way, who's the lion of the tribe of Judah? Who is it that is a descendant of Judah's tribe? David's tribe, Jesus Christ. The root of David hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. Now notice chapter number 6, specifically, again, for the sake of time, in verse number 1. And I saw when the Lamb, Jesus, opened one of the seals, the first one, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, and one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. And when he had opened the second seal I heard. So the reason I'm reading this to you is, again, to lay the foundation that the tribulation starts when the Lamb opens the book and clicks open the first seal. He breaks the first seal, and the tribulation begins. That's that seven-year period that starts with the uh, different seals that are opened and the different um, ways of wrath that come down upon mankind. And who is it that opens that book? It is Jesus Christ. He, not men, some people believe in a mid-trib rapture because they think the Antichrist is the one opening the seals and delivering the judgment. And then later, big time judgment's going to come and, and, and coals are going to fall from heaven and fire's going to wipe off the earth. And, and that's the judgment of God. No, 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 no. Um, Jesus is the one opening all of these, his wrath coming down upon mankind in a seven-year period, and these seals are cracked open by God himself. Revelation chapter 6, verse 17 says, For the great day of wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? Revelation 4, verse 1 says, The voice will trumpet, come up and see these things that must happen again hereafter. Here in this passage, we're recognizing that watch Because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and that we have put our faith in him, Jesus Christ took wrath upon him so that when he opens the book of the seven seals and the wrath begins to fall upon the world, the Christians are not here because they have already been forgiven. Jesus has already covered that wrath and we have been raptured out of here. Praise God for that. Hallelujah. And it's not because of anything good I've done. It's because of what Jesus did upon the cross that I get to um, be excused from this moment, that I've been called away from this moment, that I don't have to deal with this. But here's the truth of the matter. Again, that neighbor who keeps parking her car across the street and, and in the way of your parking, and you're frustrated by that, listen to me, listen to what I'm saying. If Jesus were to come back today, 
right away the Antichrist is going to be entered into the world. He is going to begin to promise great peace, but only bring wrath. And let's say, let's say in a six-year period of time, because we believe the Bible, she's still alive at that moment when fire and brimstone begin to literally, the Bible says, rain from heaven to wipe the planet clean and to bring wrath upon the people of God. That neighbor will be burnt to a crisp, according to Scripture. Well, man, this is one of those fire, hell, brimstone preaching churches. And I only reply this way, yes, because that's what the Bible says. It is coming. Your brother who does not know Jesus Christ, who you were scared to bring Jesus up because of confrontation in your home, will spend an eternity away from God and will suffer the wrath of God after you are raptured out of here. Boy, it sure makes the teller at the bank seem a little bit different than before, doesn't it? Knowing that she might go through the tribulation. Hey, teenagers, it's really hard to think about yourself on a Sunday morning instead of sitting beside a new guest or a young lady who is struggling when you recognize that she could be literally, if Jesus were to come back today in less than seven years, reaping the wrath of Almighty God. Religion's not a joke. It's a relationship that Jesus Christ sent his son to die in your place so that you would not have to suffer wrath. So that when there was a calling away, you would be called up with him to live with him in the place that he has prepared for you and me not to be here and to suffer the wrath that is to come for those who reject Christ. You say, but Pastor Ray, I'm religious. I get it. But are you a believer in Jesus Christ? Have you put your faith and trust in him? But, but, but Pastor Ray, I'm a good person. I, I didn't ask if you're a good person. I'm asking, like the scripture says, have you put your faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Because if you have not, you are not his, and you will not be resurrected, and you'll be left here for the wrath that is to come upon those who have not put their trust in him. The rapture. It's what's next on the prophetical calendar. It's coming. We don't know when. I, I actually develop the signs of the end times that we can begin to see that this thing is spinning, but I just didn't have time to get into it today. We'll get into it in two weeks from today, the signs of the times. How can we know that Jesus Christ is coming? Are there things that we can see that says it's getting near? But I'm telling you, church, if you're here today and you don't know Christ, you can know him today. And no matter if the trumpet's blown today or 10 years from now, your, your eternity is secure in Christ. And if you're a child of the king today, it's time to wake up. I mean, this, this, this literally ought to rattle us <gasps> up out of bed, up out of lethargy, right? Up out of lackadaisicalness, laziness to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. If the trumpet were to blow now, would you be ready to meet your Savior? Father, thank you for the time we've had together in your word. We want to thank you for joining us on the NLBC podcast today. We hope that God will allow this message to truly make a difference in your life. As you learn more about Him and as you study His word, we pray that it will cause you to live out the gospel in a whole new way. 
Again, if you would like to connect with us, feel free to reach out by visiting our website at newlifecasagrande.com. If you are local to the Casa Grande area, then we would love to have you join us in person. We have services at 8.30 and 11 a.m. each Sunday morning with a host of other opportunities to develop a godly community to learn and to grow. We'll see you next week on the New Life Baptist Church Podcast. Thank you.